the incomparable. Number 510, April 2020. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and this episode is going to be about... I'm going to, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. This is one of my very favorite movies of all time, and I kind of can't believe we haven't done it on The Incomparable, but we're going to do it now because this is the 25th anniversary of the release of Apollo 13 and the 50th anniversary of the real Apollo 13, which, yes, that means it's been... It, we're halfway between the, the movie and the actual event it's mm, i don't like that anyway i love this movie um not the fact that you know bad things happened to a spaceship way back when but i love the movie and talking about it with me are four wonderful people i want to go around get a little go no go from all of them econ dan morin uh go capcom dr drang we're go flight guido kathy campbell go flight fido stephen hackett we are go all right, we are go to launch a podcast. I'm so glad that you all said go, because there would have been a problem if you had said no go, because we would have to stop the podcast and come back. We have to scrub the podcast, and that would be terrible. <laughs> uh, we should watch the podcast, though, just for... <laughs> yes. <laughs> just to be sure. I have got the hand sanitizer all lined up. <laughs> it's got, a, like, a wash me on the back, <laughs> back window. <laughs> so Ron Howard directed it. It's got Tom Hanks as the star Everybody loves Tom Hanks. Uh, a great cast. A lot of a lot of people. Ron Howard's entire extended family is in it at various points. <laughs> Could he not get other people? <laughs> the kid from Real Genius is one of the controllers. <laughs> the control. I want to say this actually. I had this on my note at one point. The controllers are a panoply of like that guy. Like, oh man, I was looking people yes. up the whole time. It's like, oh, it's the Reverend from Deadwood. He's one of the guys. <laughs> like Clint Howard is the definitive. Hey, it's that guy, right? And he's silent leaper got but they're, they're they're full of them including gabe jarrett yeah the kid from real genius is right there next to him the guy who plays the flight surgeon the annoying flight surgeon you fans of veronica mars might recognize as abel Kuntz from season one who is and i was just like why do i know this yeah, guy and mm-hmm. i had to look up, oh my god he's lot, able, yeah it's a lot of that ron howard a lot of that. turns out is connected to a lot of people in Hollywood. Yeah. It, it, that, a lot that, of characters. Including like Kevin Bacon. Including. <laughs> everybody <laughs> in here is connected to Kevin Bacon, especially the, the girl in the shower. Anyway, um, hey, uh, <laughs> uh, like I said, I love this movie and we'll talk about what happens in it. I guess I should go around first and just since you've all given the go, we could go into it here. Uh, but if you've got any opening thoughts, initial thoughts about revisiting this movie, 25 years old now, can't believe, can't believe that at all. But here we are. Uh, Steven, do you have any thoughts? Initial thoughts? I've got two thoughts. Uh, one, I was going to have a snack during the movie, but all my hot dogs are frozen. So that was <laughs> disappointing. But you can do a drum solo. That's, that's true. <laughs> right there on the limb. Uh-huh. The thing that really... I, I hadn't seen this movie in probably 10 years. It's been a long time. And I was really happy with how well so much of the visuals hold up. Like, and we're, We can talk about how they filmed it, but all that work that went into that to make all the the low gravity floating around bits work has totally paid off all these years later. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. We will talk about that. Dan, do you have any initial thoughts? Yeah, um, well, like Stephen, I hadn't seen this in quite a long time, and I agree, it holds up very well. I saw this movie in the movie theater um, when I was 15, when it came out, uh, with my parents and my grandmother. Um, and I think I told this story, it might have been on our For All Mankind episode where we talked about space stuff. I can't really remember, but uh, I did not know the history 
of it, so yeah. I didn't know how it ended. So I was on the edge of my seat as a 15-year-old, just being like, I don't know, <laughs> do they die? Like, <laughs> holy cow, I was really, I was really wrapped up in it. And I, yeah, I was pleased how well this, uh, this really held up to my, to my memories. And I will talk a little bit more as we go on uh, about it, about the uh, soundtrack as well, which I oh, have man. owned for 25 years as well. Yes, and, we will uh, talk about lot, it. I have a lot of feelings about it. This is what if Titanic was in space? Because it's James Horner. Uh, it's it's really good. I like it a lot. Here's, here's my, great. If yeah. you got the original DVD of it, by the way, a little Easter egg that they that nobody ever talks about is if you leave it on the main menu, it will literally play the entire soundtrack. Wow. Unbroken. The whole wow. soundtrack is there. How do they do that? I thought they were like a two minute loop on nope. those things. No, it plays the whole soundtrack. They they nice. I don't know how they did it, but it, I used to do that sometimes. I'd just leave it on That's the menu cool. and listen to the whole soundtrack. Now now wow. it's on, you know, Apple Music, so it's fine. Also, Dan, I did uh, show this to my kids last night, and neither of them I couldn't believe this, but neither of them have seen it. And they also were completely ignorant of the history. And so when we went in, I just said to them, just so you know, everything you see, and I'll tell you when it's not, but pretty much everything you see actually happened you'll think it's outlandish and unbelievable and over dramatic totally happened because <laughs> yep. this is that kind of story it's like you you would not make it up this way but it actually happened this way except the part where there's the contrail over the house when jim flies over his own house <laughs> which in the if you haven't listened to it i highly recommend you listen to the commentary track on the dvd which is jim and marilyn lovell talking about the movie as they watch it which is bananas oh my god but the one moment where well there are two moments there's the moments where they're yelling at each other on the spaceship that it's very dramatic and he says yeah that never happened and there's the contrail and he just really as a pilot he gets really angry about how that, that plays far too low for there to be a visible contrail there and i'm like okay well astronaut i get it i get i get what you're doing there but the kids were very impressed because again they kind of couldn't you, you have those moments where you're like did this really yes it, it is it really is nail biting if you do happened. not know what, what the outcome is yeah. and it, even if you do know what the outcome is everything just keeps getting layered and layered and layered on top of each other and you're just like there's no way this had to have been written. How could, there, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Kathy, do you have any initial thoughts? I started my journey of space enjoyment um, with the movie Space Camp and desperately wanted to go to space camp. And then when I was a teenager, Apollo 13 came into the movie theater and I was just super excited to go and see it. And then after I left the theater i no longer really wanted to go to space (laughs) um but i still enjoy all of the things that happen with it and learning how i think the thing that i really remember from this movie in particular is how it was not uh really expanded a whole lot for being a movie um they stuck with so much of the true story and that just really, really caught my attention. And I will always remember just how fantastical this story would seem if you were to see it written out, that they'd have to pull some of these things for reality and that it just was all real. It just was mind blowing. Dr. Drang, any initial thoughts? Well, this is this is an engineer's movie. I, I, I have, uh, you know, this, yeah. the scene which we'll get to where they dump all the crap out oh, of the desk and this. Oh, my oh. God. That, yeah, that is just that gets me every time. I should. I will, it'll probably come up um, later on anyway, but I'm going to throw it in here. Uh, there, the, the folks who did uh, 13 Minutes to the Moon. 
a podcast last year to commemorate the moon landing uh, have have started again. I know probably all of you are listening to it, but uh, folks, uh, people who are listening to the podcast, it's uh, it's a great. There are like uh, as we record this, I think there are like three episodes into the Apollo 13 story. This is their season two, and they're doing the Apollo 13 story, and it is excellent. Mm-hmm. And if the movie inspires you to be more interested in what happened for real, um, then you should listen to that podcast. It's good. Yeah, it's from the BBC World Service, and it is fantastic. Both seasons, fantastic. Thank you. Um, So this is, um, by the way, another anecdote uh, that I think Ron Howard tells about this movie is that he watched it with astronauts, which has got to be quite a nerve-wracking experience a little bit. And, And... after one of the screenings, one of the, I believe, Apollo astronauts came out and said, I cannot believe where where did you get that footage? I cannot believe I've never seen that angle before. And Ron Howard's like, um, that's fake. We, we we made that. It's a special effect. And and I think that does speak to something about the accuracy of it. The, there are things in it that seem unreal that if you've seen the documentary Apollo 11, you've seen some of this now because they really there really was footage that they unearthed for that. But like the ice falling off the rocket at launch, the the fire getting sucked back in, which looks like it's a like being played backward. That really happens that in that moment, like it is incredibly accurate. So there's a lot of technical details that goes into this um, a lot of the special effects for the launch is the big spectacular special effect so visually I think this movie is really interesting and um, famously I think they shot I forget how many minutes of the movie 15 minutes or something was shot in NASA's uh, Vomit Comet the the plane that yeah. d- flies the parabolas where you get weightlessness and then everybody throws up um, and, and and that's part of the speaking of the special effects and the visuals, which got mentioned earlier, like that is a, the most practical of practical effects. It's really weightless. They didn't shoot it in space, but they shot it in weightlessness. And every time I see this movie, I think it's re- actually kind of ruined all of the great space shows that try to do yeah. zero gravity and do a decent job of it. But. I know that it's fake because I've seen it's Apollo 13. Like yeah, you can never, you can never do. It. I mean, uh, I think it's also two things. One, it's super impressive that they did all this in 1995, where yes. the state of the art was not what it is today, right? Yeah. Like there, there was, you know, this is stuff that looks really great even now. Even now, um, I saw this in four. I watched this 4K HDR. I have the 4K Ultra man. HD disc. I bought this movie many times and it looks <laughs> so good. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, you, sometimes there is no replacement for real. Um, but I was going to say as a sidebar, my um, my cousin, who I think Jason has talked to once or twice, works mm-hmm. f- with NASA sometimes and he has ridden the Vomit Comet a couple times and it is, I saw a video of him in the waitlessness and it is hilarious he just starts giggling like when he starts floating <laughs> up uh, and he is a big guy he is bigger than me um which is saying something and he yeah i he, he tells me about this experience of his and it just sounds it sounds it's totally surreal and the fact that they went ahead and filmed using that is kind of mind-blowing but jason is totally right like once you look at that you i remember trying to figure out at 15 how did they do how, these? how mm-hmm. did they pull this off right like because it it's like you can't 
there really wasn't a way to easily fake that. Nowadays, you know, you can use CGI to get yeah. away with a lot. Um, and, and as Jason says, it, it's always there's always like a little bit of like uncanny valley happening there. But yeah, it is it is incredible. Yeah, yeah I dug up this article on the Wayback Machine about how it was filmed and, you know, each sort of trip where you're 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 floating is 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 like 25 seconds or something so yeah. you, you gotta imagine they have to do all this setup you have you have to fit everything within 25 second segments right uh, but it took 612 flights to do it so like oh four hours of weightlessness yeah, those guys are hardcore the act i mean that's a lot of work to do yeah i would be sick instantly <laughs> yeah but they did it and I think it's telling also that I, basically nobody has ever done that again. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like, no. But Ron Howard was like, no, we'll build sets inside the Vama Comet. It'll be great. Like, yeah. Unbelievable. Um, and their joke there also is like, we're going to crash and the headline's going to be Tom Hanks dies in a plane crash. Uh, turn to page six to see who else died. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're all thinking that. They're all thinking that when they're up there. Um, yeah. Just it looks great. It sounds great. Um the movie is segmented in, in in an interesting way where even though it's Apollo 13, they want to tell the story of who these people are and what the, the historic setting is. And so, you know, we start with a little bit of a, a Walter Cron- Cronkite voiceover. Um, they're talking about Apollo 1 where the astronauts Ugh. died in the fire. Um, Walter Cronkite actually recorded some new voiceover material to bridge into his historic material. I looked it up. Because I couldn't remember when he died, which was much more recently. But I was like, that doesn't sound, that sounds too good quality That's right. to be. That's right. Archive. Although there are a couple yeah. moments where it bridges and you, you can kind of tell that it's going, that what they do is it goes from like voice of the narrator to voice coming out of a TV speaker. But um, yeah, he, it's, it's both. He's he's in it for new stuff in the movie and also his historic stuff. The visual of Apollo 1 with the hand in the window is something mm-hmm. that always I always visualize anytime anyone mentions Apollo 1 or that incident right. that see, that snapshot just is immediately right in the front of my brain yeah and I want to mention to that point this was kind of I was aware of all the space program stuff and obviously when I was growing up the space shuttle like was very active and that was like sort of the the main uh, visual like image that you had of the space program but I feel like so much of my understanding and conception of this era comes from this film uh, especially when then it gets revisited in other places, right? Like, you know, I watched From the Earth to the Moon after this. Uh, we were, you know, we talked about For All Mankind on the podcast, which definitely draws a lot of inspiration from this. So I feel like so going back and looking at this and seeing like the, you know, that 19, late 60s, early 70s aesthetic and all of that and like the ranch houses in Texas and all like those have become kind of staples of this subgenre of right. like space films. And I feel like, much of the feel of it is certainly hearkening back to the you know the reality of it, but also like the conception and the feel of it feels very codified by this film. The movie moves on to in this initial part where we're sort of setting up our characters uh, to the moon landing because obviously that's the great historic event. The 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 tale of the Apollo program really could be boiled down to Apollo one, Apollo eleven, and Apollo thirteen because those are the the major historic dramatic shocking in in the case of Apollo one moments so they they're going to show us that Apollo one happened and that this is that that being an astronaut is very dangerous and that these people knew these guys who died in the fire and then Apollo eleven is the great historic moment and 
what I love about the, this scene, because it's the party at the Lovell's house and Jim Lovell comes in with his, the last box of uh, champagne in Houston and tells mm-hmm. his son to go put it on ice. And there are people there who are going to watch this thing. It's the astronauts and their families. And what I love about it is in this historic moment for humanity, it's all of the the co-workers and rivals of Neil and Buzz who are watching this. And I, I just, you never see that perspective where they're like, do you think he can abort? Pull up, pull up, Neil, they say. <laughs> it is so, it is so amazing. And then the, that last line that blows me away is after it's all over and, and Jim is sitting outside and, uh, you know, he, he's talking to Marilyn and he's putting his thumb over the, over the moon. And he <laughs> says, he says, Christopher Columbus, Charles Lindbergh, and Neil Armstrong. And it's like you would say about somebody you went to high school with. It's like, what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I just, I love this whole thing because it's that rivalry, but also acknowledgement of what it, it's the camaraderie and rivalry simultaneously. Yeah. It's just not a perspective you see uh, in stories like this. A thing that I appreciate about this scene from a sort of movie perspective is how efficient it is introducing the characters we're going to follow and putting them in the context of being in Eleven's footsteps, right? Apollo 13, like this movie has a lot of stuff to get done mm. and they they spend quite a bit of time on the fire and this section is like, hey, these are who we are. This is the world that we're in now and then we jump right to their story and, and watching it this time, that really... I really picked up on that. Like, man, this is a great way to like get into the action. Yeah. Well, this scene, what I like about this scene, uh, you know, apart from the fact that it's a fun scene and you get to see, um, you know, Kathleen Quinlan looking great in 60s fashion yep. um, is that, you know, this is as we get further in, this becomes a three part story and all three parts are together in the Lovell's house there at the beginning. It's, you know, it's the crew is there, the families are there, and then mission control people are there. Right. Not as many mission control people, but ultimately they're all there. Everybody is, is uh, set up there. And then we split up those three stories later on and then bring them all together at the end. Yeah, I really, I really like how Ron Howard tells stories. And I think Apollo 13 is one of the best examples of that because it would be so easy to be completely overwhelmed by the introduction of the characters. How do you give enough info so you know a 15-year-old who's coming to the theater to watch this space movie can follow it, but still keep it interesting to somebody who knows what's going to happen. And he just is really, really great at that. And this is his just the shining star and all of that. And the humanization of these characters yes. as well, right? Like that's a big part of it. Like we like Lovell are kind of like in awe, obviously, right? Like of, you know, he, he knows these people for us, they're, they're larger than life figures and he's putting them up in that pantheon. And so for us to basically get an entree into that and feel like we are part of this, this little, you know, insular family where they're not, larger than life figures, but they're just people uh, yeah. that they know. I think it's, it's really effective. And a large part of that goes to Ron Howard. A large part of it goes to Tom Hanks, sure. who like that yes. is his wheelhouse right there. <laughs> okay, let's take a short break just to tell you about our sponsor for this episode of The Incomparable. Our sponsor is Pingdom by Solar Winds. Today's internet users expect a fast web experience. No matter how good your content is, no matter how effective your marketing, they will most likely bounce their gone from your website if it's loading too slow. It's just a fact. 
With real user monitoring from Pingdom, you can discover how website performance issues are affecting your visitors' experiences so you can take action before your business is impacted. How your visitors experience your website differs depending on the browser, the device, and the platform they use, so you want to identify how different visitors are experiencing your website so you can make informed optimizations and deliver a great performance to those who matter most. Real user monitoring is an event-based solution that's built for scalability. You can monitor millions of page views without compromising the fidelity of your historical data or breaking the bank. Get live visitor insights today with real user monitoring from Pingdom. Go to pingdom.com Snell right now for a 14-day free trial. No credit card required. And when you sign up, use the code Snell at checkout to get 30% off your first invoice. Thank you to Pingdom from SolarWinds for supporting the incomparable. Ron Howard gets a lot of stick as a director because he's sort of viewed as workmanlike. He's not showy. His movies are are often kind of viewed as middle of the road. They're not like super, super high end. He's not viewed as a Spielberg kind of guy. But I feel like Apollo 13 is a great example of uh, the story is what it is. The story is enough. The screenplay does a great job telling that story. His job is to make have it move along and make sense and let the performances, let the actors and let the story happen, which is why in some ways I think maybe it's the perfect Ron Howard movie because it's got the technical, it's got the actors, it's got the story kind of in place and that's why it works so well um, yeah. that, that you see in this moment. Like we do meet all those characters uh, Kevin Bacon's introduction is the one that I, I, I love more and more every time I see it, where he's got the beer bottle and the glass and yep. he's telling the pretty yes. girl how we insert the the you know the lem or the, the CSM the into the into the lem using the probe and it slides on in there and it's the best feeling in the world. And she's like, oh and Tom Hanks is like, oh boy. And he's he's walking away, but it's like, well, he's gonna be important later, and that's he's the bachelor astronaut and all of that. And we get those the, that moment and like everybody gets like a little bit of a character beat. We get to know who these people are because, you know, very soon we're going to be off on this off on this mission. There's, um, you know, very quickly where Jim Lovell is giving a tour at Kennedy Space Center to dignitaries. And he talks about being on the Apollo 14 crew. And one of the dignitaries says, well, if there is an Apollo 14, because they're already putting pressure on, like, why are we even doing this after the moon landing, which is a real thing that happened. Mm -hmm. We don't think about it now, but it's a real thing. And they did cancel uh, later Apollo missions that never happened. And then that's the moment where uh, Deke Slayton comes in and takes him away from his patter that he's doing to the dignitaries, which is also a true thing, right? That astronauts had to be tour guides and had to, you know, shake hands and things like that. And it's, uh, they've got to move things around. And now he's gone from being an Apollo 14 to Apollo 13 and all of everything that comes with it, which is, uh, which is Marilyn's trepidation and his kids being afraid because of the fire and all of that. But also, you know, the glee of having your you know your date with the moon moved up six months and that that all is happening right right in this section it's interesting to watch the like he's got the relationship with deke right and like i i you know honestly i feel like i know some of these these people so well just because they keep showing up in all of the like mm -hmm. <laughs> movies yeah. and, and tv shows about space flight i've seen deke slayton played by like three or four different people now um but you know the the running that line between the like you know, I'm, I'm doing my job. I'm a professional. But also, you know, the fact that he does get to come home and tell his his uh, family that he's going to the moon and he is clearly very excited about it. Uh, and we see a similar thing from um, 
from Jack later on when he finds out that he's uh, going as well. And it's, you know, hard to fault these guys for being excited about this, like, you know, pinnacle achievement in their careers, even if it comes at the expense of people that they would consider their friends and colleagues. All right. Um, so we get to the uh, training, basically. So we see them training and we see the uh, we see the the plan that they're they've got their backup crew. And uh, Jim Lovell makes his announcement that this is going to be his final flight, um, that he's he's basically retired. He's he's flown two Gemini missions and another Apollo mission. Really. The, and the point here is that there's really only one thing left for him to do, which is to walk on the moon, which makes the result of this the more tragic when we get to that point um and and then we get our big you couldn't believe it there's no way this would have happened three days before the launch they come to him and say that charlie duke another astronaut has the measles and ken mattingly uh one of his crew has not and there's that really incredibly tense scene with deke and the flight surgeon uh, where where they basically say one of two things is going to happen here, Jim. Either you're going to kick Ken off and Jack Swigert, Kevin Bacon, is going to fly with you in three days. Three days! No pressure. Or you can all just step back and maybe you'll get another mission. Maybe not. And the whole backup crew will fly in three days. And that's the that's the moment where, you know, Jim's like, well, OK. And he says, this was my call. And there's that yeah. amazing moment where Kevin Bacon gets the call when he's in the shower with a girl and he comes out and he howls because he's going to go to the mm-hmm. moon in three days. Smash cut to absolute silence on Gary Sinise's face. And he's heard the news that he's out. It's um, it's yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, the dichotomy between those two reactions. I mean, obviously, one's going to be happy and one's going to be sad, but it you feel it so much more um, with just the sounds and the just the. It's so dramatic, and this whole movie is just beautifully cut into those things to really just feel that story. Yeah, and we and we learn in, in the Mattingly scene. Uh, you know, we learn what a stand-up guy. Tom Hanks is and Jim Lovell is. <laughs> but, um, Both are true. Because, because, you know, yes, it was his call, but Slayton didn't really give him any choice in the matter. And but but he doesn't present it that way to Mattingly. It's the chain of command kind. Of, I mean, these are these are military yeah. guys, and he's like, "This is my call. Like, I had to make it." But he's gonna he he's gonna take the responsibility. He's the commander of the of the mission. He's not gonna dump it off onto Deke or anyone else up higher up on Matt in uh, in NASA. He just he he tells Mattingly this is, and you know Mattingly is kind of a kiss up. Frankly, we get this. We. <laughs> You know, oh, let's do some more training. Let's do some more. There's a scene, a couple scenes earlier. Right. Yeah. Oh, let's do some more yeah. training. I which didn't of get course, it exactly perfect. Let's do it again. All yeah, right, yeah, let's do right. it again. Oh, this guy. <laughs> but of course, that comes back, right? That's, right. that's the, that's yeah. the yes. setup for the, for what happens later on. It's it's very well done because, like a lot of this kind of storytelling, you know, you you there are reasons everything is in the movie. And uh, again, that's, you know, that's one of Ron Howard's strengths. He also, and we see this throughout the movie, so I'm not going to keep butting in with this, but there is a tremendous amount of exposition in this movie and Mm -hmm. he handles it. There's only one place where I think it's not handled well, but generally speaking, it seems very natural. 
you know, you've got you've got people on TV talking, you've got speeches being made and things like that. All of those really did happen. All of those things seem natural, but they are all giving us the background information that we absolutely need. What they're training on is exposition, too. Right. Like yeah. when, when we see yeah. a training sequence, it's because we're going to need to understand a little bit about this for later. Like right. all yes. of that is either for the stakes or for the technical thing about how the spacecraft work. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with Dr. Drang, your point about the exposition. Um, I've, you know, in, in rewatching this with a lot more knowledge about the, the space race and Apollo and everything else, I was really curious before I hit play. It's like, how am I going to feel about this? Like, is this going to be something that I feel sort of annoyed at? And really, there's only one scene, and I hmm. bet we agree on what scene <laughs> it is once we get there. That I thought, okay, that's a little ham-fisted, but I think the layering in of the the actual history and, you know, having a conversation with with a child or you know, I, I think they do a good job of it. There was only uh, I watched it with my wife who was not into the stuff, and there was only one point in the movie where she looked at me and said, "Wait, why, you know, why is this person doing this thing?" And it's this it's the scene I'm sure we'll get to when. Marilyn's in, in the shower. She's like, well, why is she in a hotel? It's like, well, they live in Houston, but they take off in Florida. So she's in Florida for the launch, right? So other than that detail, someone who really, I mean, she she knows about Apollo 13 just from culture, but it, who isn't in this really wasn't confused at any point. And I think that's a real credit to the writing of this movie. Right, because anytime you tell a story, like as anybody who watched For All Mankind knows, like when you tell a story about this stuff, it, it, there's a lot of really technical detail yeah. that you have to explain somehow if you want to be remotely accurate. And it's hard. And this movie doesn't really shy away from those details. There's some places where they gloss over it because it needs to be a movie and not a, a lecture, but... You know, there's there's a lot of jargon in this movie and some of it doesn't go explained and you're expected to pick it up as we go through dialogue. You know, there's there's there is some hand holding when there needs to be. But other times the plot is just like you're coming with us and we're talking about these things and, you know, you'll figure it out through what's happening on screen. Yeah, balancing that is really interesting because of the there are times when you see the three of them in the, you know, in the command module and they're just spewing jargon about switches about alarms etc and they're not going to explain any of it and frankly it doesn't really matter (laughs) at that point like when this script is incredibly good at doing that thing like you guys were just saying where it's like when there is something important that you need to know they will sort of stretch it out but the rest of the time they're going to essentially replicate as much verisimilitude as as they can by having these people talk the way they would talk or the way they did Mm -hmm. talk when they were on the mission. (laughs) As I say, a lot of the dialogue lifted straight from the transcripts. Yeah, that's the amazing thing. The more you know about, unlike almost any other historical event that's depicted in fiction, I will tell you, the more, because Stephen just read and I read a while ago, uh, Jim Lovell's book upon which the screenplay is based, his book with Jeffrey Kluger, which was called Lost Moon, now called Apollo 13 because soon to be a major motion picture starring Tom Hanks. There's a little Tom Hanks on the cover. <laughs> yeah, not. Usually the more you learn about a historic event that's going to be depicted, the more disappointed you are in the details that they get wrong. And I will tell you, the the it's good to hear that people who don't know the details, like Stephen's wife is a good example, pick it up because I will tell you, I am impressed at how right they are in mm-hmm. what they 
chose to do. Like it does not, it's not one of these things where you look at it and say, well, if you really know anything about this story, it, they, they cut a lot right. of corners. There are a few things, yeah. but mostly not like the jargon. And I think this goes to Tom, to Tom Hanks, especially. And I think Ron Howard being space nuts and nuts for the Apollo stuff. After this movie, Tom Hanks went and did the for, From the Earth to the Moon miniseries on HBO because he l- so loved this subject matter. So I think that some of that was a real dedication among fans to get it right. Um, but I don't think it step, steps in the way of the storytelling. But it, it is it is remarkably accurate. The jargon, the switches they're throwing, the stuff they're doing. It's not wrong. They didn't just make it up or they, or they didn't, didn't really cut corners. There's some time gaps, obviously, because space is actually really long and boring to travel anywhere. Mm-hmm. And there, there are lots of very nice kind of time gaps that where they just cut out lots of days because it's really boring. But what's there is yeah. right. Yeah. They get to the end at one point and they're like, yeah, I spent seven days in space. I was like, Holy crap. That was seven. Yeah. No, yeah. wait there's, a second. They there's, there's, seven there's, days. there's a moment late in the movie where a title um, comes yeah, up. that's like day, day six. six. And my kids yeah. started laughing. They're like, oh, God, it's terrible. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> they were up there a long time. Yeah, that's a, a pretty miserable week. <laughs> we're, we're gonna, I'm fascinated to see what these uh, what the everybody thinks the the bad scene is. So we'll get there. Um, <laughs> I, I have a vote, but we'll see if that's the, what it is. So. Uh, they they it's it's lunch time um one of the nice little touches is that marilyn has told jim mostly because she's really frustrated and nervous that she's maybe not come to this launch she's been to three others she's just not going to come to this launch and then they have that moment where the families are on the opposite sides of the road because social distancing and quarantine is a thing yep. when you're going into space by the way although apparently not at this point it sounds like that was actually not instituted to this until the space shuttle program and it's interesting because they meet on opposite sides of the road and it's one of those is that marilyn level i thought heard she wasn't coming and it's just kind of a nice moment of this these people who have been uh, married one of the few married couples from the space program uh, the early days of the space cr- program whose marriage survived by the way jim and yeah. marilyn level um and uh and then yeah she goes back to the hotel and drops her wedding ring down the down the drain and that is also something that actually happened my, my wife sat straight up on the couch with her hand over her mouth at that, at that scene <laughs> this this was my one criticism when I looked back at it is I felt there were too many things that were a little heavy handed in the foreshadowing because there's like a scene earlier on where they're driving in the car the car, and the car oh, stalls yeah. Yeah. and yeah. then she has the nightmare which apparently is also something that happened but um, apparently not quite related to this probably um, but like there's just it's a little laying it on thick I understand why it's there I felt like maybe they just needed to take it down hmm. a notch or two but yeah. Yeah, hmm. I mean it it is I mean this is the thing it is Apollo 13 that launched at 1313 I believe, right? Like it's Did they just lean into that or was that I think <laughs> it's just uh it comes after 12 Maryland is the line that I really <laughs> that's, like. But, that's a good but, line. but like everybody still got the heebie-jeebies a little bit about it and I, I think they leaned into it, but you know, you can read that either way. Like I think that scene with Maryland is is beautiful because um one of the one of the tricks this movie is trying to do is keep you tied to the families, right? In a way that you could very yeah. easily just say, you know, whatever, the families are there. And we don't we don't stray too far from them. It is about the people working the problem, but it is also about what's happening with the families. And that and Marilyn is our lifeline there. So Kathleen Quinlan has to give a good performance and we have to connect with her emotionally. And that moment where she shows up is such a high and then it's immediately followed by such a low of losing the wedding ring down the drain. And uh 
and it's I that that part's important. But you're right. I, I like I think the scene where the T bird stalls is like, meh, you know, it's, it's not really. You don't need it. I will say I was uh, also confused for a long time up until just a couple years ago about why it was such a big deal that she was there because like Stephen's wife. I was confused. I was like, but they're in Houston. Like, what? What? And yeah. Yeah, the movie does not do a lot to tell you that now you're in Florida. Yeah, just a little thing. Cape Canaveral or anything would have been great. Well, that's why he flies there, right? Like in the plane. But it's 1995 when this movie came out and it wasn't it wasn't meant to be telling people in 2020 what's going on. (laughs) (laughs) Was it clearer in 1995? Got a future proof. I'll tell you, uh, as the person who was alive when this actually happened, (laughs) I was... I was on the inside. I was I was forming when this happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was out. All right. Well, you got me there. And watching TV. Uh, because, because and it, it is odd. I don't have a really distinct memory of this the way I do of Apollo 11. I have very distinct memories of Apollo 11. I have very distinct memories of seeing broadcasts from spaceships when I was in grade school. Uh, you know, they would wheel the the TV in on the cart, the black and white TV in mm. on the big AV cart and and have us watch things. Um, I, I don't and I don't know whether my parents sort of kept me away from it. A few years later, after the Apollo program was done, I had a commemorative set of coins for all the all the Apollo missions. And it wasn't surprising to me that the coin with Apollo 13 had the picture of the service module with a hole in it. Um, that was, that was the front side of the coin. Uh, so I, so I must've known it, but I don't have, as I sit here at 59 years old, I don't have a strong memory of what the nine year old, uh, was, was seeing or thinking at the time, which is kind of weird to me because I, as I say, I do have strong memories of what happened, uh, in 69 when, when the moon landing happened. Because I remember seeing it, you know, on TV. Kevin Bacon, by the way, I, I skipped over this a little bit, but like there is that moment that's basically like, everybody welcome Kevin Bacon. He's in the movie now where he's like, you're now part of the crew. <laughs> and I think one of the things that maybe the astronauts said was not entirely accurate is like they show him in the simulator and he crashes them and and they're like, oh, I don't know about it, this guy. And I think Jim Lovell has said like, no, he was one of he was one of us. And he'd been training all along with the other crew to do the job. There was never any question that he was going to do the job. But the movie's like, well, we're not sure about this guy, right? Just because they want to kind of add to the drama. But he is a trained professional who spent spent the last year doing training for exactly this eventuality. So it's not quite like that and they do and there is that one line right Stephen, where it's like well to be fair this this uh this killed ken the first time we did it too <laughs> like, yeah, yeah i like that line <laughs> everyone dies in the simulator on this right. <laughs> yeah there, there's a scene where he's what well, well, he's doing the thing that he's flirting with the girl at the party right he's got to swing around to pick the lunar lander and everyone in mission control has their breath held and like right. he does it and, and dick's like yeah i told you you could do it it's like of course he can do it like you all been training him for yeah. years right. yeah you, to do you didn't this. pull him off a bench somewhere <laughs> like yeah. it wasn't like well maybe this guy he delivers my my milk but he might be able to watching move. this movie this time that's the scene by the way that hit me as dumb they they flip around and they're and then he needs to dock to the limb and pull it out and somebody says if he doesn't do this we don't have a mission and i thought come yeah. on <laughs> come on <laughs> come on like 
Really? It's just, it's this, it's totally unnecessary. It's like literally, yes, if everything, if nobody does their job, there's no mission. But this is just yet another part. But it's like, no, movie, movie really wants you to be like, oh boy, this is a, this is a big moment. It's like, yeah, it's it's like all of these moments are big. Like they have to do all these things. So they're in space. But it's, it's there, (laughs) it's there to make you like put the pressure on Kevin Bacon. Like, can he, can he succeed? Is he an incompetent boob or will he be fine? He's fine. He's a pro. It's going to be fine. And and uh, and he is fine, and, and it, it is an interesting dynamic, right? Like that, this adds another layer that they haven't trained together, and so they're they're even if they are, uh, you know, they know each other and they know that he's well trained. He hasn't been working with them, and they and 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 that part of it I appreciate. But uh, and you know, Kevin Bacon. The other thing is he's a, he's kind of the odd man out anyway, right? As the bachelor astronaut, the Dick Cavett right. bit that mm-hmm. that we see where he's telling his monologue and he's talking about the that he's optimistic about bringing nylons and chocolate bars to the moon, which is a good joke. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good joke. Um, and and so it, it is that makes that character interesting that he's he's uh he's not like them in a lot of ways and they've got to they got to deal with this but um you know we get a spectacular launch they get all the goes we get that go flight you know we're, we're go for launch camera's whirling around it's really great ken is watching alone very sad from very t- from yeah. way too close to the rocket by the way you would not be there no i think i think he was he was pulling rank. He's an astronaut. Yeah, I can go right up there. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah, I'm just going <laughs> to stand here, and my, if, it blo- yeah. if it burns right. me to death, okay. I don't like, care. I've got the Corvette. Yeah. Of course I'm allowed to come in here. <laughs> I'm just going to drive yeah. away. Uh, I, it surprised me almost because I was so caught up in watching this movie, uh, you know, in the first half hour before we get to the launch, that it's really, I checked the, the time code. It's about 31 minutes into the movie that Ed Harris even shows yeah. up. And you're like, oh, right. yeah, Ed Harris is in this. <laughs> I, yeah, I have it marked down, too, about 30 minutes is when the vest comes out yeah and this is what i was saying about how there's this 30 minute segment that is the setup and it is it is apollo 1 apollo 11 meet the crew the crew switcheroo and then yeah then here's ed harris and he gets his his vest delivered and they go to the trouble again in a, in a little detail that is not necessary but it's accurate they throw they throw it back to launch control because they're in houston but launch control has the big windows and they're at the cape and if you don't know that you don't even i think notice that it's happening but like that's a real thing and they they went to the trouble of of having a set for launch control that is in one scene and they're like all right you got it houston and then they're never in the movie again but they but they put that in there and then and then we're riding with ed harris and uh it's we're all waiting for terrible things to happen at that point Um, we get the weightlessness. There's the, the giddiness when the, the engine five cuts off early, um, which is really, again, really happened. And they're like, what does this mean? And, and Lovell really did say, well, I guess that's our glitch for this mission. Every, every mission's got a glitch. <laughs> um, but they, when the, finally they get the engine cut off and they're weightless and they're, they're spinning things around and taking their helmets off, which is that vomit comet stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's giddy. It's amazing. It's like a perfect moment of we're in space now. It's it's amazing. And and then Fred Hayes blows his lunch. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh, that got, got a rise out of my kids. They're like, oh my god, oh no, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's 
Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's in in zero gravity. It's really bad. Oh. Yeah. There, there's a scene where I think we're looking at Tom Hanks and like an out of focus blob goes by. Yeah. It's like, oh. Oh whoa. yeah. I don't feel yeah, so good. Boy. The the limb docking happens. It's very dramatic, but it's it's fine because Jack Swigert is a capable guy. We see some things about life on a spaceship that are amusing, including the waste dump where we we actually see we cut to Tom Hanks and he's peeing into a bag and then putting it into the uh, into the little thing and and dumping it and and uh, switching the urine dump switch on and it all comes out as beautiful little sparkles that's a real thing that astronauts talked about uh, the constellation Orion uh, <laughs> and and then uh, and then we get the, to the big moment which is the TV broadcast that they do where they assume that they're on national TV but the tragedy of it oh. was that um, everybody's bored by the space program at this point they'd landed on the moon twice not that interesting they've been doing TV broadcasts from space and so they didn't the networks didn't cover it they just recorded it and maybe show highlights on the news um so the families are there but no press is even in the viewing booth for that that really is how how it was can we talk about the nasa pr guy uh sander berkeley Uh, (laughs) uh, something about that character just strikes me the wrong way like he's he's always like supposed to be kind of smarmy right yeah yeah he wants he wants the odds on who's gonna die and yeah it's like yeah he's oily it's true yeah that's that's a good role for Xander Berkeley. Mm-hmm. He's he he pulls that off of the plum. Uh, yet another character actor from the '90s, 2000s, and still a present, I think. But like, just perfect perfect for that role of uh, yes, he is kind of slimy. He's like he's all he's not quite to the level of your '80s movie villain, <laughs> but like he is teetering right on the edge no, there. He, he definitely watched Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yep, yep. He's he, he's the one who convinces Marilyn to. He's like you you know you need to put a thing on the lawn for the TV crew. He's not the uh, journalist from Die Hard, but, you know, he's on that spectrum. (laughs) For for historical uh, accuracy, I think the key piece of information is Barbara Lovell, the oldest daughter, being upset at the the Beatles breakup uh, on on that day, which is exactly right. Uh, Paul announced the the Beatles breakup on April 10th and in in a press release. And so on April 11th uh, uh, or whatever, around this time, she would have been terribly upset. It's it's perfect. Uh, historically, I, I believe if you listen to the commentary track, she'll say she wasn't that into the Beatles and she wasn't a hippie. And personal and they're, they're, accuracy it, doesn't matter. It's histo- It's the history, Jason. No, it does. <laughs> I, I I looked that up too. It is great that the that is this is when the Beatles broke up, 1970. I, this I is did it. not have to look it up. <laughs> On the inside. I do like Jack's uh, comment about not being able to file his taxes, though. Right. That's actually pretty great. And and really really happened. I'm going to keep saying that totally happened. And they totally made the Nick. We called Nixon and he said, you can you can file an extension. You'll be because you're out of the country, way out of the country. Yeah. I like when they deliver that news to him. He's freezing to death, you know, in a crippled space. He's like, that's great. That's great. (laughs) Top of mind. So they tell him to stir the O2 tanks, which is basically they got this liquid oxygen and one of the things that happens is it kind of clumps at the bottom of the tanks and so they need to have these fans that stir it and uh, uh, unbeknownst to them there is a short in the wiring and so when uh, when Kevin Bacon flips the switch it uh, shorts out and uh, explodes the oxygen tank and that's when this movie kicks it into another gear because lights are uh, lights are flashing and everything's shaking and uh, back on earth there's that moment where Clint Howard is looking at his screen and like it's 
starts to like blink and things disappear from him and he's like what, what? And, and at that point this movie moves so fast because there's so many things happening the camera is swirling around in the spaceship they're talking they're trying to figure out what's going on down on the ground they don't even understand the problem there is a great moment in this segment where one of the one of the guys says I think it's an instrumentation problem because sometimes mm-hmm. there would it would look like a problem but it wouldn't actually be a problem it would just be an in, uh, some weird reading and and uh ed harris gets to say they're talking about shimmies and bangs up bangs. there it sounds like more than an instrumentation problem but this it's just so intense there's an intense like i don't even know how many minutes it is it flies by but like yeah. this is the confusion we don't even know what's happening and it kind of builds to the crescendo of of uh, tom hanks looking out the window of the spacecraft and saying we're venting something into space which is like oh no this is really yeah. and then it yeah. continues from there it's it's just it's it's uh pulse pounding it's breathtaking it's quite a quite mm-hmm. a thing what's well, interesting reading the book uh where level talks about this time period because like i said everyone is going bananas right and mission control kind of gets resituated and they're, they're starting to to look at it and in however many minutes it was the astronauts didn't initially report an explosion right because like all the instrumentation went wild and then after a few minutes they call down so, you know that line of in the movie you know we've got bangs and shimmies and venting and stuff. And it's just interesting that in those moments, as well-trained as these astronauts were, that even on board the spacecraft, they took a couple of minutes to fully report what was going on. So the confusion is understandable, um, but I do like how, you know, they all sort of get pointed the right direction after a few minutes, very similar to how mission control operated, right? It was it was a well-oiled machine, and even though things kind of went haywire for a minute, they all got back in line pretty quickly and started figuring it out. And one thing I want to say about the, so I mentioned at the top that I had the soundtrack album for this, mm. and this was from the era where the soundtrack album has dialogue clips in it. So I spent a long time listening to this, this CD uh, and so I had forgotten how much of these little dialogue snippets I had internalized <laughs> from listening to this album time after time for the last 25 years. And so, you know, immediately, like, they're talking about Baines and Shimmies up there. This doesn't sound like it's ridiculous. I'm like, God, I've heard Ed Harris say that line maybe a thousand times. <laughs> uh, and it's fascinating, but it also plays really well into, like, I knew sort of where the cues were coming up. And I think that moment is where certainly the score up to that point is really you know it's really solid it's got a lot of that sort of like soaring heroic feel to it but this is the moment where james horner pulls out his patented i'm gonna bang on the piano a lot and he uses that a lot but it's really really effective in this scene because it is chaotic and atonal and there's a lot of stuff that's going wrong um and so it's a great it's a great combination really of just sort of the the music going along with the um with the what the events are transpiring on the screen there and i think i think it's one of the reasons that even though a lot of these things get used by him in other places if you listen to the score for sneakers a movie we talked about previously that he also scored some of this stuff is almost verbatim in the same thing um but yeah it really it really works incredibly well in these scenes stress all the stress uh ed harris let's work the problem people he says and this is when we get the other aspect of this which is the astronauts are dealing with this up in space but um, at this point 
the most important part of the movie, I would argue, is it's the people in Mission Control and in the back rooms outside of Mission Control trying to figure out what happened. And what they end up doing is it, uh, they have to solve a series of problems. They have to figure out what happened. They have to figure about uh, uh, what currently is going on. They have to look at this from a, uh, from a, a standpoint of status. What do we have on the spaceship that's good? An amazing moment because like, Great why don't line. we list the things we yeah. do have? Because there's so many things we don't have. It's a shorter list. Um, and, and they have to figure out like they're going to lose power in the big spacecraft, the, uh, the uh, command service module, which means that they uh, are going to have to power up the lunar module and use it as a lifeboat that's only supposed to have two people in it, but they're going to have to move over there because its systems haven't been damaged. Um, in a really nice touch in the screenplay, the astronauts who are so well trained, they are not not just monkeys sitting in a capsule. They are they are test pilots and they have been incredibly trained on the systems. They're already moving to the limb when they radio up saying you should move to the limb because they've already figured it out too. So they're working together, everybody's working, and then they have to do this um, you know, series for the rest of the movie, series of problem solving things involving uh shutting off the fuel cells, which is that moment where Jim says we just lost the moon, right? Yeah. Because the, and it's like that the bargaining moment of like, well, maybe we can get through this. And there's a the moment like, no, we can't get through this. Nope. Yeah, and, that, and that's another example of him knowing the system very well, as do all the astronauts, because he knows that valve can't be opened again. And then once that valve can't be opened again, that's it. We're done. Yeah, they actually ask, right? Like, are, can you, are yeah. you sure? They, he says it three times. Like, you want us to close the, close the valves, closing yeah. the valves? I think it's also great to point out, like like Dr. Trank says, you know, the fact that we do have so many of the people who are working in mission control, like, that there are people in the working in mission control who are also astronauts, right? Like, the Capcom, some mm-hmm. of the Capcom folks are also astronauts. And, you know, Gary Sinise, of course, is on the, on the comms there later as well. I think it's important to remember, like, you know, that these guys are not just, like you said, they're not just... Like, oh, any idiot can be put in there and, right. done, and do this job, right? Like, no, it's incredibly highly trained. Uh, they they have a lot of skills that go beyond just, like, even flying a plane, right? Like, they're learning all these physics and engineering, and, you know, we see them trying to do the math equations and stuff and figure out, like, all the numbers. Slide and, rule. There's, yeah. a, there's a slide rule at one point. They are degreed engineers. The astronauts yeah. are typically, if, or scientists, but typically engineers. And so, you know, it, it does make sense. And, and that the scene with the slide rule, the slide rule is, is on the ground, not in space. But that scene where they uh, effectively sneaker net the, the settings for orientation from the command module's computer down to the LEM, and Hanks is there, level is there doing the, the conversion because he's got to convert from, he's got to add and subtract angles. Uh, to, to so, so that uh, the command module's angles point of view is different from the LEMS. And so he's got to change things. And then he has them all go redo the calculations on the ground. He's already done it. Check my math and on this all, one. You know, they all do it and they all pull out paper and they pull out slide rules. And it's just great. That, that is that's spectacular scene. Well, I think it's another point of efficiency in the writing where it, you know, all like each individual person sitting at a console had a whole team of people and even the people on the console rotated. And we don't see much of that in this movie, but there were, you know, many mission control teams. But 
Ed, Ed, Ed Helms like, hey, go wake up wherever you need to. Later, we see people sleeping in like hallways. It's like, is it a.m. or p.m.? And you get the sense that there are a lot of people working on this without them explaining, well, I have this subgroup of people help me with this and these people do that. You just see that you just get the sense that everyone is here. Everyone is is on board. Yeah, you don't need a roll call to know who is there. They managed to really pull in all of those feelings and essences. So you knew that everybody was involved. Everyone was working on it. No one was sleeping until they absolutely had to. They were it, they cared and not just in a way of, oh, well, we don't want to you know, be the first death in space. We really want to get these people home. A lot of men in white shirts wearing pocket protectors. There are a series of scenes in the uh, the room where he he the overhead projector doesn't work, so he's just drawing mm-hmm. it on the chalkboard and he draws the little map of the Earth and the Moon and says you got to get here and you got to get there and all that. And that is, that is where we keep coming back to. That's basically the back room representing, and I'm sure that's a case that's not super accurate because it's probably you know, hundreds of people in lots of different rooms and there's there's some simplification going on here. But this is the part where in the back room, out of mission control, they are trying to figure out like what are the ideas and what are, what do they have that they can do and, and who's floating what up. Um, and, and and those scenes are uh, those scenes are all pretty fun. And this is th- that leads into the thing with the CO2 scrubbers, right, as well, where they're like you got to make with just the stuff that they've got, you've got to get the round peg in the square hole because, of course, the CO2 scrubbers on the limb are not the same as the ones on uh, on the CSM. Yeah, there's a great line, too, of, like, tell me this isn't a government job. Yeah. yeah. This is yeah. fantastic. I love this bit just because I think these are some of my favorite scenes in the movie because, they, I mean, they make me think of, like, my time doing, like, puzzle competitions and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. this feels like a problem. It's like, all right, make this fit into this. All right, all we have is a flight plan. We can rip the yeah. cover off, yep. some duct tape, and a sock. <laughs> and the, sock the moment where they ask for the sock, it's like, oh, boy, <laughs> Oh my and the moment where he rips the yeah. bag and they're like, he ripped yeah. the bag. And they're like, well, he's, yeah. gonna, he's got one more bag. Yeah. Like, Don't rip that bag. That stuff is, when you're, I think from a storytelling perspective too, when you're in it from that moment, it does not let go, right? Like that is the, Whew. you are in it with these guys being like, oh my God, they ripped mm-hmm. the bag. What are they going to do? Do they have another bag? <laughs> they Can they take, take the, the bag? bag? I don't know. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> It's just incredibly effective at taking you along with them because you get the feeling that there's so many times in this where they talk about like, we don't, we don't even have a procedure for that. Right. Like, and you're like, even though these people are super highly trained, they are in a situation that they do not have any training or procedures for, right? Like everything is unexpected. And so we, I think that really helps from a storytelling perspective too, because it lets us be like, we are just as clueless as you are and you are trained professionals. So I, I, I admire the way they pull that off. And I find it's like, it makes that movie, those scenes so much more gripping. Yeah. The pacing of this section of the film is just, is just excellent. I mean, you don't you don't come out of the movie at all. At least I don't. I am Mm -hmm. I am fully engaged in this movie throughout this these scenes. And a lot of the issues they're facing. I mean, yes, like the spacecraft explodes. So that's that comes from space. But the deal like, hey, guys, we've got to shut down the limb too. they're going to run out of power in the limb. Like a lot of these problems they run into come from engineers on the ground thinking three steps ahead, thinking what, you know, where do we need to be tomorrow to get closer to home? And I think that, I mean, A, that's how it happened, but but B, that's also, it it works well for the movie that it's not the same uh, cycle over and over that like 
they fix something and they fly for a little while and something breaks in space and the guys on earth have to fix it and they fix it and they fly for a little while something breaks in space. It is this back and forth of figuring out problems as they come up, trying to get ahead of them. And again, it builds to that sense, a very real sense that every single one of those people well, it was this? It was 1970. Every single one of those white guys, unfortunately, um, yep. had like all of them were important to getting these guys home, and that is absolutely true. I like the uh, Ed Harris, who was nominated for an Academy Award, I believe, for Best Supporting Actor for this. Um, the it's a it's a really fun performance where he he playing a, a you know the real guy is similarly a very steely kind of guy doing this and I, I really like that moment I mean failure is not an option is a great moment but I really like that moment where in the chalkboard where he's like nope we're not going to do that mm-hmm. it's just too risky like we have to we we got to assume that the the, the 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 engine is dead we're not going to turn him around just too risky he says and he's like he's listened but now he's just going to yeah. lay down the rules which is we're not doing that so we're going to have to figure something else out here because that's not going to work and he's the taskmaster here for for yeah, these guys and, but it is important that he listened because you know the the flight directors always they trusted their. They trusted the controllers, right? Because the controllers are the experts, right? The flight director is just the guy who's trying to put it together from what the experts tell him. He, yeah, he's the coordinator, and uh, and the manager, and and but here he's got his he's got his controllers at odds with one another, and he has to make a yeah. call, and he makes the call because he's got to make a call. They can't he, wait. He can't wait. I Damn. I do love the the uh, the guy from Grumman. Who builds the oh, engines? Oh man! If, <laughs> if there's a villain in this movie, it's Grumman yeah, it's Man. Yeah, like, yeah, we, uh, there's no warrant. Oh, I just want to let you know it's that we don't. We never tried this. It's not covered. Uh, and then he's really yeah. happy when it works. When it works later on, he's like, "I told you! I, I told, told you! It you, it you did not. <laughs> you got to keep your job." Yeah. From the historical narrative, I don't love that about this movie. You know, in reality, the team who built the limb, and it's it's gone over in the book at great detail. They were all working just as hard as the guys in Mission Control, right? Because they knew that what they had built was going to save them. And so I didn't love that. That's kind of one of my, well, I've two. But that's one of my sticking points with the plot. Is like I didn't need that guy to be comic relief. There might have been an oily guy from Grumman who was trying to blame to deflect blame. Sure. It's possible, but the fact is, everybody else at Grumman was working desperately on every little detail of the limb while they were using it as a lifeboat, and all the subsystem contractors. So I know about this only because um, my wife's grandfather was a subsystem contractor in the ventilation group he was one of the people so you have the guy who's like we're gonna have to make a new Mm -hmm. co2 scrubber and then they would call like all the companies that made all the parts and talk about it and lauren's grandfather was worked at one Mm -hmm. of those companies and so you 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 know it's the tip of the iceberg there are thousands of people who are working the problem all over the u.s in this moment but the grumman man yeah he ends up just being the butt of a joke because he's he's your bureaucrat right he he he's a you know fat government contract basically who's like they've got all the money and he is a caricature and it's funny but yeah it's actually not really true to all the people who are working on it uh, but it's funny because he's just the worst <laughs> oh i wanted to mention uh something we skipped over really quickly which is there are a couple other things happening um uh ken mattingly uh is watching that that uh dick cavett 
monologue and switches it off just as it flips over to the special report about the Apollo 13 accident. It takes his phone off the hook and they have to go get him later and drag him in where he can help with this. And we thought, well, you're not dead. Like, you haven't been answering for four hours, but you're not dead. That's good. And then also at home... um, Uh, Marilyn Lovell has to uh, deal with the stress of her husband being in jeopardy and also explain it to her kids. There is the heartbreaking line about something broke on daddy's spaceship and the little boy asks, was it the door? Because of course I remember that so well. Like I, right before he says it, I'm like, Oh, I remember this line. I don't think I, yeah. God. Mm. Gets you. Yeah. And then later the, the press comes to there and she basically says, look, they weren't interested when he was live on TV and everything was fine. And now that he's he's at risk, uh, they're here. They're not going to set up a tower on my lawn. And if they have a problem, they can take it up with my husband. He'll be home on Friday. Right. Like yes. just get yes. them off. And and so we get to see her and her stress. And later on, as as Dan pointed out today on Twitter, a great split diopter shot. Shout out to our friend Todd Faziri, where she's in the background, super tense listening and in the foreground there's that nasa squawk box um and and they go back behind the moon and there's no radio contact and all that and it's just some very tense moments with kathleen quinlan uh very stressed out wearing her astronaut wife hair and her astronaut wife dress very period appropriate I did want to call out a Tom Hanks moment I really love. Uh, I think it's a little bit later, but it's there's they're arguing about something uh, on the on the in the command module or the lem or whatever. And um, the one point previously they had been arguing, and their speaker their mics were on. <laughs> yeah. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. And then there's a bit later where they're arguing, and they see a pause, and he asks because Houston calls them, and. You know, he says, are we like, on Vox? Are we on Vox? And then he, he, the, Tom Hanks's voice modulation, because he goes from yelling at the guys, like, calm down, we're not going to argue about this. I think it's when they're arguing about whether or not, like, you know, Fred, Fredo's like, well, I didn't stir the tanks. You must have done something wrong. And Tom Hanks flips the switch to talk to Houston, and his voice immediately becomes very calm. Okay, Houston, we're here. And I, I just, his control yeah. over that is amazing and great and really does a fantastic job of encapsulating why this guy mm-hmm. is in charge of this mission. Yeah, and that's a story that I don't know if that actually happened at all, but that's a story that's rooted in another Apollo story that Stephen and I talked about on our space podcast, which is that, you know, there were moments where stuff got across the radio wire where uh, astronauts said some un- yeah. some bad words. And so that was definitely something that they were always kind of aware of is you don't want to have it because Vox is voice activated is you talk and it gets sent to Houston on an open channel and so that you know you want to toggle that off if you're having blunt conversations on your spaceship that you don't want Houston to or hear. Or the world, right? Some of those loops are open to or press the world. And, exactly. people. Yeah. and if you say a naughty exactly. word you have to go on an apology tour. <laughs> there was a recorder on the spacecraft that recorded their voices that would go back later but in the moment it's just you know do you want to do that? And that is a great moment where Tom Hanks is like alright Houston what is it? After they've been yelling at each other. Yeah the other good part it, it, sort of in the same era of this of this movie is um, when he gets out of the way so that Hazen Swigert can look out and see the other side of the moon and oh Jim you want us to come see this I've seen it I wrote that down myself it's that it, just that just it's hits such you. a great moment because and this is the and he has that vision later of himself 
on the moon. On the moon. Yeah, yeah, I've forgotten that. And because there's no, yeah. right, they don't land on the moon in this movie, but there's a moon landing scene because it's Jim Lovell's vision of himself finally doing the one thing left for him to accomplish as an astronaut. The only reason he's going on this mission, because he's already been around the moon, is to land on it. They aren't going to land on it now. And so then he says, you know, you guys, you know, have a look. I- I've seen it. Man, it's rough. Oh, I want to. Uh, so, so Jim Lovell's mom, who, <laughs> who in, in this is, I mean, she's in a couple scenes. Uh, they they have when they're when they're landing, they have Neil and Buzz come to talk to her, and she says, "Are you boys uh, in the space program too?" Which is amazing. But that line that I love is, and and she never said this, but it's such a great bit of artistry by the screenwriter. If they could get a washing machine to fly, my Jimmy could land it. Yeah. And so and she was, th- there's a whole story. She raised, she was, she was a widow at a very young age and raised Jim herself a- through some very tough times. And it's like, she's, she was an amazing woman. And, uh, I, and I think, I feel like that's an amazing moment where she just says like, I have per- complete faith in my son. He will take care of this, which is great. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, the two scenes with Blanche are essentially the same scene or, or they show the same thing that she she just she she's so yeah. involved with Jimmy. And Jimmy yeah. is why isn't he on? Her. Didn't they say he was going to be on um, TV? Yeah. Oh, the poor like helper guy who's just trying to get the TV to work and it's just not showing up. Mm. The, Oh, I felt so bad for poor Blanche because she's just like, I just want to see my Jimmy. He's supposed to be there. And then they can't frickin find it. I have seen this movie probably eight to ten times. Mm-hmm. I cry every time the washing machine line oh, comes yeah. on. I know it's coming. Mm-hmm. I get I start crying before it because <laughs> I know it's coming yeah. and I cry yeah. when it happens. It's uh, it it is heart wrenching. I had kids when this movie came out. I, I had a daughter already by the time this movie came out, and so it, that sort of absolute faith that a parent can have, an absolute pride that a parent can have in a child, just comes through. And, and of course, have we mentioned this? That's that's Ron Howard's mom uh, playing Blanche. It, it just it is it is so well done and it's so well written. And it's so and it's so small. His dad, well, and, his dad, by the way, is the minister who is right. there when they're watching a, on the couch. Kind of Rance Howard, part, yeah. frankly, <laughs> yeah, for a really good actor, he's actually Rance Howard's a really good actor. Mom gets a great part. Rance gets nothing. Yeah. What I really love about the washing machine line too is that it's not just parental pride; it's also comforting your daughter-in-law, who's obviously stressed and freaked out, and she's just like, "Well, don't you worry, honey." Yeah. And she's not wrong because they shoot they sh- use a clip recorded before the launch mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. Tom Hanks telling the story that happened to Jim Lovell, which is uh, where his his electricity went out on his jet. Um, and he sees the churn of the bioluminescence of the algae in the ocean and that's how he's able to land his jet with mm-hmm. no lights on the aircraft yeah. carrier it's a great story um, so and that, that really happened to him and that's that moment of like he really could f- land a washing machine couldn't he mm-hmm. <laughs> and he just it's also some of it's just the the optimism right yeah like he's kind of like a well things just kind of work out right like you know and, and it's it's amazing I, I wouldn't have been able to see that i would have had to ditch if my electricity hadn't shorted out but it shorted out and then i could see uh, there are a couple other things in there that i think we we skipped over quick that i just wanted to mention as some of my favorite bits one when they get the co2 scrubber working uh there's a great moment 
where they turn it on and they're sitting there waiting for the gauge to go down again and uh both fred and jack are mm-hmm. like holding their breath <laughs> and, and jim looks at him and, just yeah. breathe normal fellas and then you see them both yeah Whoa. that's fantastic uh that's great and then the entire scene where uh, Jim decides to take off his bio. Yeah, the medical yeah. medical movie. It's got to be my favorite medical scene in the movie. movie. Yeah, where he pulls it off and and the flight surgeon. I lost love. I just lost him. He's dead. <laughs> you know, like, and then they like he yells about like I don't need everybody to know the state of my kidneys. And there's this great just they, there's a beat, and then they go on the radio. Okay, Jim. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> just the yeah. delivery on it. So good. Yeah. Well, Ed Harris is just little. He's so, so amused. Yep. Yes. Yeah. He's just it very underplayed. It's very amazing nice. you oh. you kept it mm-hmm. up this long. Quite frankly, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah. we're gonna let him have it. We're gonna let it's these guys training. have this one. I feel like we we've got to get to uh, their old crewmate being the one person to save everything. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there, there's two. Uh, there's there's sort of three big moments uh, to come here. Um, so one of them is the manual burn, which is just a another one of these heart wrenching uh tense scenes where they have to uh they're like well can we use the computer to do this because they need to fire the engine one more time so that they don't smash into the atmosphere and die or skip off um and they're like okay well we're gonna have to turn on the computer and they're like no 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 (laughs) you can't do that you gotta just like keep the earth in the center of the the window and uh hold on for 30 seconds right you gotta go in the earth just point toward the the earth right which is which is literally what they have to do there (laughs) and and the way, and again, it's probably a little bit over dramatized from what it was really like, but like, you just got to hold it with the earth in the window and they're weaving everywhere. And you're like, oh mm-hmm. God, they're going to go to Mars now by accident. This is what's happening right. now. This is very bad, but it's so tense is there. And they're like, I got to No, I got a handle of it. And they like get the earth right online by the time that the engine burn is done. Like, uh, so, so that is, that doesn't get its due as an incredible, just when, you know, everybody's cold and miserable and bored and they've been there a long time. Suddenly there's just additional moment of terror that has to happen before they're allowed to come home. And and to the point of the astronauts being just as involved in their own solution as, as mission control, Swigert knew this ahead of time. Yeah, he's figured and, it out. He's like, I got to, you know, we'll keep it in the in the reticule so, or whatever in the window. We can look at the Terminator and then we'll know. And that's how we can that's how we can we're aim coming it. In, yeah, we're coming in too shallow. Yeah. We're going to have to make a course correction yeah. at some point. And then they come back with it, you know, later on. At, what is a day later? I don't I don't remember. But anyway, and it's actually the origin or the source of the last dramatic thing that happens in this movie, which is they're supposed to have three minutes of radio silence. And if they have four, then they all die. The guy, the one guy says, and it's like five minutes before they come back. And that, again, it feels like a movie trick. It really happened that way. And it's because they were shallow. That's why they were shallow. Yeah. Uh, not shallow enough to atmosphere. die, but shallow enough to be in that blackout period for longer than normal. And you talk about, you know, all of these really brilliant minds that are working these problems. And yet they're basically were shallow because they were using the numbers for the original landing right. that included all of the rocks, the rocks and, and it's to, like they have to move the ballast yeah. from one like yeah. what ballast is, are we a pirate ship let's just get this ship over here well, yeah rocks. <laughs> yeah there's the rocks thing and there's the bit where uh fred realizes his numbers are wrong because he only accounted for two people two people yeah, yeah. yeah right and jack's all well, i guess i'll just hold my breath <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah and that's in the same i mean because they they're part of the the what we haven't talked about here a lot is 
it's like 35 degrees or something in in there it is freezing the or it's 30 degrees it's the hot dog is frozen because they've had to turn off the heaters they're cold fred has a cold at this point and a fever he is really sick he didn't get you know they they quarantined for the measles but he got a he has a uti he has a uti it's not good right they're miserable and then you get this moment where they like they have to do the the harrowing burn they have to do the calculations um this is uh, this is where level i think has to get his math checked yeah. Is yeah. at this point where they're exhausted and cold and miserable, and now they got to power up all of the things. But before they do that, Ken Mattingly has to save the day. This right. is Gary Sinise's moment to shine. It's a great set of scenes with Gary Sinise and mostly and Lauren Dean, another Lauren Dean, yeah, another yeah. Actor, great character the, actor. If you remember, Welcome to Mumford, right? Wasn't that the movie that he starred in? He starred in a movie, and that was it. Enemy of the State. He plays the bad guy in that one. Oh yeah, it's basically Lauren Dean and Gary Sinise figuring this and the out. Most dramatic amp dial ever. Yes, <laughs> you got it. You don't want to go above twenty amps, and so it's this. Love it's, that. It's, it's and and the way it, to to portray something like this, they, the screenplay is constructed really well because the idea you get it as a viewer which is you got to turn these things on there's things you have to turn on you got to turn them on in the right order if you don't do it in the right order it go it uses too much power and the whole thing fails and you and you keep coming back to them and they're like let's try this let's try this and ken mattingly does a lot it's a it's it's hilarious he's like no if they don't sleep i don't sleep and i want to be as cold as they are and i'll be in here forever and all of those things but he is you know he this is all he can do is save his buddies and it is it's very dramatic but it's also a good like they're doing the problem solving thing and it does finally lead to him having that moment of inspiration which is a beautiful beautiful moment where he's like could we could the power transfer run the other way and we steal the power and they're like well we lose a lot he's like yeah but and they're like yeah and all the engineers are like mm, interesting interesting and they try it and it works and it's great yeah and the, and then when he comes you know there's the, there's a scene you know they're walking through the building um coming back to mission control like push a guy after, out of the way yeah. It's great. <laughs> yeah. and and he comes over and takes over his capcom yeah and uh lovell gets on with him and they say Oh, it's Ken. Well, they've been they've been complaining, right? Like they're they're getting increasingly paranoid because of the shallow thing. Like they don't have a procedure for us. We need to do this. They're going to ask us to do this, and we can't even do math right now. And they're going to ask us to do something complicated. And they're like, Ken Ken Mattingly is uh, is in the sim right now. And and there's that moment where, and it's so sad because he's Tom Hanks is a great performance of somebody who's really kind of tired and sad and desperate. And he's like, Ken's working on it. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay, we'll just leave it there. Ken, we trust Ken. Ken's working yeah. on it. Yeah. And again, it's a it's a collapsing of many things taking place. You know, it's a whole group of people working on this, not just Two, not just one guy. Guys. <laughs> what? <laughs> but there there's a moment in there in that part like, hey, we need to know what's going on. We gotta power this thing up. You know, you gotta get to us. And there's a moment where Deke, who we haven't talked about much in the in our episode so far, but the head of the astronaut corps. So he's in charge of all the crews and and he basically breaks into Capcom, which is supposed to be the, the that's how it worked is one person in mission control could talk to yeah, the space. Usually an astronaut. Usually an astronaut. And Deke was an astronaut, but he'd been grounded for a health issue. He didn't fly until later. But he breaks in and and speaks to the crew saying, Hey, we are working on this. It's coming to you. I think he's even the one who tells them that Ken's working on it. Right. And that's a really like if you're if you're tuned into how mission control works, that's a big deal that he basically stepped in and spoke to them Directly, I think he was trying to reassure them that, okay, if if Deke is saying this is somebody we can trust. He chose that moment like, okay, I'm going to screw procedure. 
these people need to know what's happening instead of the dance of political. Oh, we're working on it. You know, oh, don't worry. We will get it up to you. Like he knew that they were at their limits and being able to give any sort of reassurance was worth whatever yelling at he'd probably get. But also you see that the astronauts are they're right in their paranoia a little bit because later on there's that moment where they're like they're still coming in shallow. Should we tell them? <laughs> it's like yes. is there anything Can that anybody anything? could yeah. do? No? Yeah. Alright well then don't tell them. <laughs> yep. yeah. like, so they're not wrong. Uh, well and they ha- they didn't tell them that they weren't on the air when they did their little yep. movie before, right. when they right. before the stirring. Again real stuff that happened although some of it's been simplified but it's also like how do we apply uh, some screenplay logic to it and so here this is the redemption of of ken mattingly who doesn't get to go on a mission um where he might have died who knows and like but he he still got a job to do to save his friends as the as the expert on this mission and so that's the that's the construction here and it is it's just i've said this in conversations about a lot of other movies um including sneakers including real genius um talking about connections to this movie i really do enjoy seeing a movie where smart people think really hard and work really hard to solve problems because it has those it has lots of teamwork aspects it's like this really kind of happy thing of like we we gotta figure this out it's like solving a mystery and there's so much of that in these engineer scenes here and in ken's moment with lauren dean and the other guys in the white shirts where they're trying to figure out um the power again literally it's a dramatic scene no one will be seated in the theater during the switch flipping scene but it's <laughs> It's very important yeah. and very dramatic anyway, which is kind of amazing. When that needle goes like just shy and you're watching oh. it wavers slightly. Not 20 amps. No, no, no master alarm. No. <laughs> and then they all look at each it's other just, like, it's, yeah. Ken, well, we do it. <laughs> are the lights on, Ken? Did it, did it? And it's like, yeah, I think we got it. Yeah, their hands all kind of go up and their eyebrows go up oh. in the air. Oh, Eureka. Is, are, are, we, are we done? Are we done? <laughs> did we <here>? do it? <laughs> They did it. I'll go home now. So the movie ends with the uh, really dramatic moment where they're they've re-entered and they haven't heard heard from them, and that really did happen that way. Which is, it's not, it's impossible to believe, but it really did happen that way. And then they then they see the parachutes, and it's like, oh, and they're fine. And they then they do the dumb thing where they're, you know, they're uh, floating in the ocean, and they get pulled out onto the little things lifted by helicopter back to the ship and all of that kind of stuff they're welcomed by the uh, the captain of the ship who is actually jim lovell he's that's his cameo as the the guy wearing all white who salutes them all in their grubby outfits as they come off of the helicopter and uh and we get a we get a voiceover from by tom hanks America's sweetheart um, talking about <laughs> about you know the mission and about the the whole Apollo program and the thing that always sticks with me is his uh, his last line which is wistful it was wistful 25 years ago it's even more wistful now which is I look up at the moon and I, th- I wonder when will we be going back there and who will that be and we still don't know the answer to that question unfortunately I like how it kind of told the future of what happened to these people, because a lot of times you oh, come right. out of these stories and you're wondering what happened. Yeah. yeah. Ken, Ken Mattingly flew an Apollo mission and the space shuttle. Um, one of only two Apollo astronauts to fly the space shuttle was Ken Mattingly. So he did fine for he himself. And he never got the measles. And he never got the measles. Yeah, I love that. That's a great bit. <laughs> Are the roses blooming in Houston? Yeah. Yes. 
right and in the voiceover tom hanks says also you know some of the people have retired but some are still here and like they're, they they moved on and and it is true jack swiger um got elected to congress but died of cancer before he could take office and it's uh yeah so it is a nice it's it's the uh what is it um american graffiti ending right which is yeah. like we tell you what happened to everybody except yeah, these I are real think people of it as the am- animal house ending. okay but sure yeah, it's, it's, it's the same thing yeah it's a popular ending but it works really well because these are real people. real people fred hayes was on apollo 18 oh wait yeah <sighs> so uh going around one last time for final thoughts about apollo 13 i got home everybody it's gonna be okay uh dan do you have any final thoughts about this film to wrap it up yeah i i i really you know again despite being something i saw in the theaters and i definitely have seen maybe once or twice since then it's been a lot of years since i've seen it and this is a really well-made movie. And I know, Jason, you and I share a similar opinion on one of Ron Howard's other more recent works, Solo. Um, I think it goes to show you how much of a... Uh, you know, you, we talked about this a little bit before, but like he is just a really competent director uh, and he makes a, he knows how to put a movie together. He is a pro like, I mean, he unsurprisingly, he has been in the business since he was a little kid. He knows how to do this. Uh, and this movie really, really works uh, in part. It's because you have such a great cast, um, you know, Gary Sinise, Kevin Bacon, uh, uh, Bill Paxton, rest in peace, yes. and Tom Hanks. Um, all of them do fantastic jobs. Uh, plus all the ground crew folks. Uh, if there are, you know, minor quibbles I have, one, it would be, you know, as we discussed, the, um, you know, sometimes overplaying the superstition aspect a little bit, but it's overall fine. I think the other one's just a struggle for my 2020 perspective is, as I think Stephen mentioned, like, there's a lot of white dudes in this film. There's a lot of white dudes in this film. And is that because, the, you know, those were the people historically? Or are we leaving out people who, you know, clearly had big impacts on the program? Probably probably that. Um, and that, that's tougher to deal with from 2020 than it probably was in 1995. But it's definitely something to keep in mind. Uh, other than that, though, I think the structure and the production of this movie are just, they're fantastic. And I'm amazed it's hard to look at another film that is of this era dealing with such an advanced subject that is held up this well, but it really, it really looks and feels and sounds great. Yeah. Before we go on, I I, I realize now I need to ask Dr. Drang and Steven, uh, what was the scene that they didn't like that was too yeah. much exposition? Cause we didn't even get to that. Uh, there is a scene uh, we touched on it where we're talking about, oh, they're, they're coming in shallow. And like, I forget the exact dialogue, but basically one mission controller is explaining to the other one, like what that means. Uh, it's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Like, they, they would you know all, just just like the fact that if you don't dock the CSM to the limb, they don't have a mission. It is obvious. Yeah. On the whole, anytime one controller turns on that to explain something, as they you know, know, Bob, that's yeah, as, as, yeah. as we all know. Yeah, what I uh, that was not what I disliked, although it's it is obviously wrong. Um, <laughs> what what bo- the, the false note in the movie to me was <clears throat> were the fake news scenes. So we've got a lot of news scenes. You've got uh, uh, Jules Bergman, you've got Walter Cronkite, you've got Frank Reynolds, you've got Chet Huntley, and then you've got this guy who doesn't who didn't really exist, and he's and he's kind of doing Jules Bergman. That's what's weird about it, is you already have clips of Jules Bergman, but apparently they don't have him saying things the right way, and so they they cut in this guy who's sort of acting like Jules Bergman, <laughs> who was a big star at the time. I I, I remember Jules, and and uh, it's just, it's false. 
it's it is really the only false note that I remember. You know, the argument in the Lem, and you know, we're not going to do this. I I feel certain that didn't happen. It just isn't in keeping with the astronauts, but it's in keeping with the story. Right. It's in keeping with how they've made Swaggart a, a little bit of a screw up and Hayes being a little bit more hot headed than he certainly would have been and things like that. So that dramatically fit in. Uh, so it, it was OK. I forgive them that. But the the weird guy who's the apparently the science editor at some unknown fourth network. Yes. <laughs> that, there at the time those just they throw me out of the film i was impressed that they used as much archival uh footage as they did but you're right there are it those moments so well. in in from the earth to the moon they just decided to invent an entire main character who is a an, an anchor for another network because they needed too much um of that stuff so they didn't stuff. they yeah. didn't use you know much of cronkite and bergman and that they just invented a character and had lane smith play him but in this you're right they tried to use as much of it as they could but they still had this fake news guy they, they had gaps and they wanted to fill it in and they and they wanted to have more exposition in a movie that was filled with it it's just that that one didn't work for me um i i will say so one one other thing the reason i think the um the space launch sequence and all of the special effects for that work so well for us is because we have never seen them looking good, or at least we hadn't uh, up until very recently. Until the Apollo 11 documentary. Yeah, yeah you're right. Yeah. I mean, we all, we've all we always seen shaky, lower resolution stuff. Right. Or that's stills. What, that's what we all grew up with. And we're stills. And so when you see it, so yeah, of course it looks like the stuff we've always uh, always seen, and they could do it with 1995 technology. Uh, do you have any any final uh, parting thoughts beyond the grievances? Uh, well, well, I mean, this is I wouldn't, I don't, I'm not the kind of person who watches movies because I don't like them, uh, and and because I, you know, I I watch when I watch movies more than once, it's because I really like the movie, and I've seen this movie several times. I just I adore this movie. Yep, I'm with you. Uh, it's, it, it, it rings true to me. It is, of course, I mean, it is, it is pandering to me. It is pandering to me as an engineer <laughs> to have it this way. But, but I don't care. I'm, I'm fully, I'm fully comfort, uh, comfortable being pandered to. I'm with you. Kathy, parting thoughts? <sighs> I feel like this movie came at a perfect time um, because it, it's a great movie to watch when all of these terrible things happen, but it still has a happy ending. Um, and I'm going to go out this night and the rest of this week ready to land in the water, I guess, safely okay. um, at some time, hopefully soon. Um, I, the stress and the anxiety in the film um it just wraps up so wonderfully positive um, and everyone made it home safe. It's true. And uh, let's keep that going. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Pos positivity. It does have a happy yes. ending and has the advantage of actually being the real ending. Stephen? Something that struck me as we were talking about the, the anniversaries is that we now in the last couple of years have relived the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11 and now 13 with the same distance of time between them. And just thinking about this and rewatching this movie, thinking about the the highs of Apollo 11. And, you know, I've talked to my parents about it and, you know, remembering it and it really shaping the world they lived in as, you know, young people. And then just 
a little while later, 13 is only on the news because there's an explosion and they're they're probably going to die in space, right? Like how quickly that fall off occurred. And it's it just it's so interesting that this movie does so well in building that context for us and not showing them on the news, having the PR guy kind of be oily, all that stuff, contextualizing it for us who didn't live through it. But now because of this movie, we can relive those highs and lows as people did 50 years ago. And that's just a neat thing, I think, uh, as someone who who didn't get to be there, but who is super interested in it. Um, but yeah, I, I am sorry that I have not watched this in, in so long. Um, and I, I can tell you, it won't be another 10 years before I see it again. <laughs> yeah, I, I accept it the front. I, it's one of my favorite movies. And I, I, I think about it and I think about why. And I think about why it has this resonance and gets made with... So there's a movie about the space program and about the Apollo program that's made with love by people who love that era and think, I think rightly so, that it's one of the great accomplishments of of humankind. And they chose to make a movie about a failure, which is interesting. It's This is not a drama about the moon landing. They did make one of those last year. It's, it's fine. Um, but this movie is amazing and it's about a failure. But the thing is, it, it, this failure has all of the elements that make a great story. And it does have a happy ending. And it is about human achievement in a different way which is they made this amazing machine they got people to the moon and then in this case a horrible accident happened and after all of that achievement those people now had to improvise and use their intelligence and find a way to get those people home and they did and i I think it's you know nobody would choose for this accident to have happened but accidentally it becomes this great story that i think signifies everything that is great about that era and about the apollo program and about the people who worked there by showing them under this kind of intense pressure so it's it's a funny thing to make one of your you know key moments of this amazing achievement be the failure but the fact is it's the failure that everybody walked away from uh you know or was put in a dumb inflatable thing and helicoptered away from in the end but you know my point stands so uh, (laughs) i think that's kind of remarkable about it because it does get across how smart the people were and how hard the decisions were and how everybody was pulling in the right direction and this seemingly impossible task of getting these three guys home um, succeeded so i i yeah i i love it i couldn't love it more it was been it was fun to revisit it and it was fun to talk to all of you about it because my family is tired of hearing me talk about it <laughs> <laughs> so one last time i'm gonna go around uh, i need to stay no stay dan morin i was gonna say gentlemen and lady it's been a privilege flying with you dr drang she sure was a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Kathy Campbell. This is Kathy Campbell signing off. And Stephen Hackett. Snell, we don't have a problem. <laughs> and <laughs> hearing nobody argue stay, I'm going to say we're not going to stay. Instead, we're going to blast off. And we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. The Incomparable.